Uninvisible is a support podcast that deals squarely with medical issues that present unique advocacy issues for individuals. We do not provide medical advice. Please consult with your physician for any medical issue that you are facing. Information and comments that you send to us are governed by our terms of service and privacy policy which are available on our website located at uninvisiblepod.com. The opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily the opinion of Uninvisible or the show sponsors. Any advertising that you may hear is accepted without regard to our editorial content. Welcome to Uninvisible. I'm your host, Lauren Friedman. And I'm here with my guests to bring you info, insights, and inspiration for coping with, diagnosing, and treating invisible illness. We're here oversharing, so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore. Okay, guys, I've cooked up something amazing with my friend Natalie Y. Beavers, founder of Angels of Epilepsy, and it's all yours for free now. Go to my website at uninvisiblepod.com and download your free ebook called Hacking Healthcare, a resource guide Natalie and I have compiled using not only our experiences in the healthcare system, but also with the assistance of other patient leaders who have added their two cents. From a message of empowerment to notes on navigating health insurance and your doctor's visit, this is an invaluable guide intended to make healthcare more approachable and to give you the tools you need to succeed. This resource has been incredibly eye-opening and important to us, and we hope that with it, you will see real results and improve your experience in the system. Once more, that's a free download of Hacking Healthcare at uninvisiblepod.com. Go check it out, guys. Thank you. Okay, guys, thank you so much for joining us. I am here today with Christina Cancevelos. You may know her as Buen Camino. Christina is a licensed psychotherapist. She's also a gluten-free travel and food writer. She has released the healing journal Begin Within Today through her psychotherapy practice. And because she's a spoonie, like so many of us, and she's going to talk to us about that journal, about her work. And Christina, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thanks for having me here. I'm very excited. Oh, it's such a pleasure to finally have you on. This has been a long time coming for both of us. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) Yeah. So it's great to have you on the show. And I figured we should start at the very beginning, like we always do. Can you tell us about your experience with chronic illness when you first realized you were sick, what diagnosis you've ended up with, and how you've continued treatment throughout all of this? Uh, So I have had quote unquote health issues since as long as I can remember. I've had, you know, constipation as an infant, uh, GI issues. I remember being between the ages of two and four, vomiting nearly every day (laughs) um, from just gastric issues. Mm -hmm. Um, And that seemed to somehow dissipate on its own. And then when I was eight years old, I started getting migraines uh, in junior high I um, started experiencing some fatigue as well as fainting. I got my first panic attack and had a lot of chest pain. Um, Oh man, yeah. That's always around that time too, isn't it? Oh, it totally, it totally is. And I had some really strange um, stretch marks that we didn't know where they came from. I went to a doctor and they couldn't tell us what they were from. I mean, it took gosh, nearly two decades later to find out it was Bartonella that caused those stretch marks, which is cat scratch fever, um, a Lyme disease co-infection. So um, then in high school, I experienced um, hypothyroidism and I went to see a doctor for that. I mean, I had I had little issues here and there, but no one was finding out what the root of it was, what any of it meant, how to help me prevent feeling this way, how it really helps me stop feeling this way. Um, it it sounds like it was like a lot of like mild things that all together were crippling, but individually doctors could look at and be like, yeah, but, and the way that Lyme disease is treated (laughs) is like, you know, so many doctors have taken so long to take Lyme seriously and it's co-infections. Still. Yeah. Chronic Lyme isn't something taken seriously by most doctors this to this day. Um, so, you know, two decades ago, definitely likely wouldn't have. And, um, unfortunately I lost my brother when I was 19, um, and he had an underlining heart condition. So I went to a cardiologist, um, to ensure I didn't have what he had, which was cardiomegaly and enlargement of the heart. 
And instead, <laughs> the, the cardiologist, based on my symptoms, realized I had POTS, cystadenomia. Wow. Um, he's like, yeah, fainting isn't normal. Having a low blood pressure like you have, like walking around with 90, 60 all the time isn't normal. Like yeah. We need to figure this out. So we did the tilt table test and it was confirmed. Um, and then he realized I was hypoglycemic as well. I, my blood sugar likes to drop to the forties just mm. for funsies. Um, <laughs> yeah. And you know, I didn't understand any of this. Um, he was placing me on beta blockers and he, he had me change my diet, but it, you know, it only helped to a certain degree and I was able to pretty much ignore it just as long as I, up, you know, uh, took a ton of salt <laughs> and sure. um, drank a lot of water. So if anyone knows of or has POTS, you know how important both sodium and water are in keeping you um, float. So I, I did that and essentially kind of ignored the rest of my symptoms until um, after undergrad or was it after grad school? No, after grad school. I um, started breaking out a lot. I never really dealt. I was one of those lucky teenagers everyone hated because I didn't break out in the acne. <laughs> but in college, I started to. It was really terrible. So I went to see der dermat different dermatologists and, um, you know, they would give me creams and medications and nothing was really helping. And then I went to see a naturopath and she right away knew. She's like, I can guarantee based on your symptoms, you have celiac disease. That was then confirmed. So I went off gluten, I felt a lot, a lot better. I'd went, I went off gluten, I'd gone off dairy and coffee. Um, so again, my symptoms were kept at bay. I was able to, you know, um, I was able to finish my, my second master's degree. I was able to continue traveling. Like, yes, I had some restrictions, but it was all still very much doable. Um, that was until I um, went to Mexico as a humanitarian social worker, doing medic medical social worker, and um, I got really sick while I was there. I it's, at first it was my throat; it was difficult for me to swallow a lot of different foods. I didn't know if I was eating too much spice um, because I had a history of GERD. Um, then everything started affecting my stomach, so ultimately I ended up in that hospital there and we just didn't know what was going on. So I had to cut my contract early, which sucked, but is what it is. And I went straight back home, met with a gastroenterologist. I did a second endo endo endoscopy and, um, uh, why am I not thinking right now? <laughs> For the like colonoscopy. Oh yeah, or, yes. <laughs> Sorry. Both ends, as it were. Yeah. Both ends. Yes. <laughs> Meeting in the middle. Yeah. Um, and you know he wasn't able to really find much on me. Um, then I just I just got worse and worse. Like I almost started fainting on the mm. job. So by um, now you're like mid to late twenties, probably, right? So this was this was 2018. Oh, so this so, was a couple of years ago. <laughs> yeah, this is when I this is when I got really really sick, mm -hmm. and um, I was I had to decrease my patient load. I was doing home health, so I was mm -hmm. visiting um, mostly older adults in their homes, and you know, as a, as a community social worker, um, and I had to decrease my caseload because I. I physically couldn't beat it. I mean, everything was making me sick. If, if they didn't have the air conditioning on, it was too warm. I felt, I started, I began to feel, feel faint. Or if I was even at our office, I did have air conditioning. I would just have these weird um, symptoms. So ultimately I got to the point where I was down to one or two patients. And I just said, I can't do this anymore. And I kept seeing doctor after doctor after doctor. And they're like, yeah, so you have, you know, you likely have autoimmune diseases and we can put you on the steroid, but that's about it. And I wasn't okay with that. I needed, I needed more. So someone told me about Bastyr University, which is a naturopathic um, university here in San Diego. And I went to them and they conducted all sorts of tests. I spent hours with them the first time, the second time, I mean, like on and on and on. And finally, they're like, you are a very complex situation and patient. We need you to see a rheumatologist. I'd never seen a rheumatologist before. So they referred me to one um, who was across the way who had teach with them 
where I taught with them before. And he's not just a rheumatologist, he's um, a PhD and he's a Lyme literate physician. So he took one look at me and knew I had Bartonella based on my like kind of blotchy skin. I, I didn't know what that, when he looked at me, he's like- So this is, and this is in Southern California. Where did you grow up too? Like where you would have been exposed to Lyme and co-infections. I mean, we know Bartonella you can actually get from cats, but- Yeah, so Bartonella of course is, you know, cat, from a cat scratch or fleas. Um, with Lyme disease, so, you know, obviously it's from a tick. Every state has ticks and every state has Lyme disease. It's not as, you know, prominent here on the West Coast as it is on the East Coast, but it is nonetheless still here. And they're also finding that um, Lyme might be, might be carried by mosquitoes. And oh boy. I, don't, I don't recall ever being bit by a tick, but a mosquito on the other hand, I've probably had hundreds of bites from my travels. Even, even we don't really have that many in California as you can, you know, attest to, but yeah, um, we still, we still get, we them still get them though. Yeah. yeah. And you obviously have traveled a lot too. So you could have gotten it sort of anywhere. Totally. And I've gotten some really strange diseases from traveling abroad and who knows, you know, what was, you know, what was what, but um, the doctor actually had also diagnosed me with like Giardia, which is likely what I had gotten in Mexico and no one had treated me for, um, a lot of, like a lot of co, so co-infections, mold, I mean, the list goes on and on with what he found, you know, wrong with me essentially, <laughs> or what I was diagnosed with. And, yes. you know, it's his, it's his philosophy that, um, things like, cause I was diagnosed with like lupus and mixed connective tissue disease and Sjogren's. Uh, he believes that's all kind of an umbrella or a manifestation of Lyme and co- Lyme co-infections. Well, I know that Lyme is known as the great imitator too, that like it, exactly. its symptoms can mimic so many other illnesses. So it sounds like the lupus Sjogren's kind of family, were it was actually Lyme, but you were having symptoms that mimicked. Yeah. So that's what, I mean, I was still positive for all of those diagnoses, you know, on, Mm. you know, in testing, but he thinks that they manifested because of having chronic Lyme disease. Right. Wow. So, um, I got to a point where I physically obviously couldn't work. Um, we were starting treatment and if, you know, anyone knows what treatment for Lyme is like, I mean, it knocks you off your feet. You, have never experienced anything like Herxing, which is the Herxheimer reaction, where there's the it gets um, worse before it gets better. Exactly. So I, I went from the person who took care of everyone and everything to needing my parents to be my caregivers full time because I physically couldn't take a shower by myself. I couldn't even yeah. get across a room. I mean, that's how that's how fatigued I became before I even started the treatment. Um, and what did your treatment consist of? Cause I know that there are lots of different approaches that people take with Lyme and co-infections. So I was on 26 different supplements. I wow. had IV treatments. I, I mean, I had all, I had all sorts of treatments, but the big, the one that knocked me off my feet was actually Alinea, which is an anti-parasitic medication. Um, it, most people take it just for three days. Some people can't even tolerate one day of it because it's that intense. I was on it for nearly a year. Wow. Um, so we had to constantly check my liver enzymes to make sure that I was my body was able to tolerate it. But yeah, it um, you know it took I would say six months to start feeling well, three months to start feeling some normalcy in my life. And then another three months to feel better. Like I, I felt comfortable enough to start driving again, mind you nearby, nowhere far in distance, but to doctor's appointments by myself. Yeah. It took about, it took about six months. Um, but then, you know, healing isn't linear. So (laughs) I was doing okay. And then, um, was it come June? I was supposed to travel and I had a flare up. Um, we were actually at a wedding in, in New York. We were supposed to travel from there. And I just, I couldn't, I had, we had to return home because I had rashes all over. I felt like complete crap. Um, yeah. So that, w- that was then. And then I had a miss uh, during around my birthday. I also had another flare up 
And that was due to a couple of medications causing me to have um, increased hypoglycemia. So I missed my birthday trip and ended up in the hospital. Not a fun place to spend your birthday. But that once that passed, I mean, I've just had, I've had small flares that I could, I could handle essentially. They haven't been too terrible. I haven't ended up in the hospital, so to speak. Right. Um, so you've, am, you've sort of been through the worst of like flushing your system of all the root yeah. causes, but you're still constantly maintaining. Yeah. So I, you know, I have a couple of doctors, I have another Lyme literate physician I see, and then I just, uh, saw a cardiologist whose specialty is in POTS last week for the first time I was on a waiting list for a long time. And as you know, when you're trying to see a specialist, sometimes there are really long wait lists. Um, so they both want me to start new treatments for mast cell that include pharmaceuticals, not so much herbs and supplements. And they said there may be um, some Herx reactions from that. And so to be honest, I've kind of been avoiding it because I feel... Yeah. I feel well, and we're okay in the middle of COVID that. as well. Yeah, it's like the last totally. thing you want right now is to feel really sick in the middle of a global pandemic. 100%. I'd rather wait until I feel comfortable enough to be able to go into an ER before I try mm. or test anything new. Absolutely. I think that's probably quite wise. So you're <laughs> sort of like, it sounds like you're like 75% like through it. Like you've been through some of the worst, but there's still some stuff to go that may take place sort of when the world opens up again a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I would say a solid, we were talking about this the other day between, I'm between 65 to 70% Mm. better. That's, that's where I'm at. And I mean, it's taken me a lot to get here. It wasn't, it's not just the doctor, right? It's, I completely changed my entire lifestyle to accommodate chronic illness as best as I can. Yeah, absolutely. So Did you find, like, I know you mentioned that like your parents were helping take care of you. You've had to sort of like change some things around in your life to adjust around your symptoms as they've come and as flares have come as well. What about advocacy and the the role that it's played in your health? Is it something where like you've had to step up and become your own advocate or where you were lucky enough to also have people around you who stepped up and were able to act as advocates for you as well? Um. I think I've always had to be my own best advocate. Um, my parents, you know, they they immigrated here. They weren't as familiar with the healthcare system, let alone what chronic illness is, what it looks like, what needs to be advocated for. I mean, they've been incredibly supportive on all fronts, but that only, you know, that can only stretch so far in their own capacity. And that's okay. Um, I think, you know, as far as advocacy is concerned, for me, it was finding a doctor who actually believed my symptoms, who didn't gaslight me, who just said, okay, this is, you're feeling this way. Okay. This is likely because of A, B, and C. And are you comfortable with this treatment plan or would you prefer this treatment plan? Like he, you know, finding that Lyme literate physician was I, I don't even have, I, <laughs> I'll start crying thinking about it. It was, it was a game changer because otherwise I would have just had to be on, I mean, essentially on steroids for the rest of my life. And where was that going to get me? I'm not trying to knock steroids entirely. I'm no, just but they that. do affect your quality of life. I mean, it's a, to- they're a tough totally. choice to make when you're living they with are chronic a tough, illness. And if you, if you need to make it, there's no judgment there. I, I see the benefit of them. But in my case, knowing now my <laughs> my diagnosis, it would have only taken me so far. Um, I would have likely had to constantly increase um, the amount I was taking. So yeah, finding that doc, I mean, him believing me, being on my side, taking care of me was more advocacy than I could ever, you know, imagine. Um, But yes, my parents um, being able to caregive for me, take care of me, That's also been incredibly helpful. How has it affected your relationships with those people you're closest to in your life? Um, With my parents, it was, it was really tough. Um, 
I think for them, they had already lost their son. I'm their only other child. And to see me in a situation where I genuinely at a couple of points thought I was going to die was Mm. very tough for them to witness. And I wasn't easy to take care of. Um, We, (laughs) we had a lot of hurdles to jump between our relationship and our dynamics. And at the same time, it was also incredibly healing in some ways because there was trauma between us that we had to work through. And I found it to be quite cathartic in that way. I mean, it's very interesting because we, we talk so much on the show about how chronic illness affects us, but you know, knowing how it affects the people who we're closest to is also so important to begin to admit to ourselves that like there is that kind of trauma that's left behind is an incredibly huge part of healing. It's, yeah. yeah, the people who take care of us knowingly or unknowingly are experiencing secondhand trauma. Yeah, absolutely. And now we're in this weird bubble, right? Where we're in the middle of a global pandemic. And <laughs> yeah. God forbid you even have contact with a medical institution because it puts oh, you at risk for COVID. For I mean, it's just sure. an added layer of of potential trauma and confusion and and instability, isn't it? It it totally is. I've had to skip doctor's appointments and treatments because I I don't think it outweighs the cons of potentially getting COVID. Yeah. And being high risk already. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So what's a typical day looking like for you at this point, at this 65, 70% healing point? How are you balancing work and life as you're managing symptoms? How are you creating structures and routine that allow you to be the best at being as well as you can be? So prior to getting really sick, I had a tendency to ignore what I was feeling. (laughs) And if my body was telling me to stop or not do something, I would just push right through. Yep. Push right through. And I've learned the hard way that, you know, you just, you just can't do that. So at this time I try my best, like a, I have to get a good amount of sleep. B, I have to, my, my diet is still pretty restricted. So I have to cook all of, all of my meals. I mean, it's so interesting because you talk about your diet being restricted, but what's great about what you do, especially because you write about travel and food and you know all these great places and local markets and stuff in San Diego where you live, is that you show us how much variety you can have even with limitations. Totally. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, my diet may be restricted, but <laughs> taste of my food sure isn't. Like, I, yeah. I make some really delicious items considering what, you know, my restrictions. Um, and cooking and baking is self-care for me. I find yeah. it to be extremely relaxing. Even if I'm feeling fatigued, the moment I start cooking, it actually calms yeah. it down. I found it's one of those things, like of all the stuff I've been doing, especially during this pandemic, right? Cooking's the one of the few things that I can do where my brain's all in. Like I'm not making lists about other things or worried about this and that. Like I'm just, it's the only thing I can do that I'm fully present for. Yes. Yes. Especially if you're following a recipe, it makes it very easy because you're like, okay, step one, step two, step three. Like it gets you structured, you know, with your thinking. There is mindfulness in cooking. It's, Mm -hmm. It's a meditation in itself in many ways. And, you know, our hands are an extension of our heart. So when we're cooking, if that's something that feels good for us, like that's really good for our heart and our bodies and our minds. So I will say like getting the right amount of sleep in and cooking alone takes probably the most time out of my day. Yeah. That's um, the thing to eat well does take time. It, it does. Mm. And, it's a commitment. It definitely is. And it's, you know, especially like if you add on, like I, everything has to be organic. So where you're sourcing it is also really important and yada, yada. Um, also, so then when it comes to actually working, I have to listen to my body. Like maybe I'll, I'll sit down and do an hour at a time and then I have to take a nap or I have to rest. Um, it's, it's literally just listening to what is good for me. If I can go longer than that, great. And if I can't, there's no, there's no judgment. Um, 
So it's a level of awareness you've had to open up since you started getting sick. You're not pushing through anymore. You're going, you're checking in a little more. And I mean, I used to think like, what does my body know? (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, what a turnaround. (laughs) Oh, how the turns have tabled. (laughs) Exactly. And now I'm like, oh, oh, you're a little tired. Okay. We're going to go. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It makes you think though, like if, if, able-bodied people with air quotes around there, you know, like quote unquote, able-bodied people checked in with themselves a little more. (laughs) Like if we'd all be a little better for it. They'd be taking a lot more cat naps too. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying. (laughs) Cats have it figured out like on many levels. (laughs) They really do. Cats have everything figured out. Uh, And they're they're not afraid to tell us either. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They're like, I'm going to go take a nap now. I'm going to go eat now. I don't care what you think or how you feel. Yep. I'm I'm puking in this corner. This Uh is just where I do it. (laughs) And I'm flopping in this corner. (laughs) Absolutely. But I mean, I mean, it's very true. Like there is something in the knowledge of nature, right. That like, we're able to see around us. Like so often I watch, you know, David Attenborough narrating and they, a nature program and think, gee, those animals are like doing it right. And like, there's something about the way that we've structured our world that just isn't quite working for us. Isn't it? Yeah. It's all, it's almost as though we are trying so hard to be machines Hmm. and we're not, we never will be. Yeah. Sucks. It's a, <laughs> yeah, it's a total, like you have to rebalance and perhaps this pandemic is, is helping some of us along the way with that as well. I think so. I think it's offering people at least some perspective in that. Mm-hmm. And that's, if anything, that's helpful. Um, and then, you know, I, I try to fit in both meditation as well as movement into, into my day. And I, if I have the energy, I try to take walks every night around the neighborhood. So I get, I wouldn't say night, I would say late afternoon. That way I still get some vitamin D, but the sun isn't that strong to where it would, you know, hurt my skin or anything like that. Um, and during my walks, I try to go see some nature because that's also healing and ground myself in it. So by the time I do all, you know, all of that, it's, it's a day. Very I, easily, yeah. I, I wonder where my days go, but mm. I also have to take a minute to step back and realize I do a lot. I'm taking yeah. care of myself and it is a lot and that's yeah. okay. I'm and that, it's okay that that's care. a full-time job. Absolutely. Yep. You're worth it. Absolutely. And, and you know, I know you mentioned earlier that um, you've experienced gaslighting in the medical industry. Can you talk to us a little about some of these experiences where you've been confronted and forced to justify or validate the existence of illness when others perhaps couldn't see it and wanted to deny that it was there? Um, so seeing what a lot of the Western physicians I was initially referred to, they, like we, like we were talking about, none of them believe in chronic Lyme disease or really (laughs) preventative help. Yeah. So, um, and a lot of them are strapped by the system. They are. Sadly. Yeah, they are. Um, so yeah, just being not being taken care of. I was asked if I was seeing a therapist. Mm-hmm. If this was just anxiety, yeah, sure. Because you know that's that's <sighs> all it is. It's always the first question. Yeah, it's always the first question. And so many times I've had doctors see me as you know one of their family members, like either as a child or mm-hmm. their sister, and they'll say, you know, you remind me of you know, blank. And this is what I would tell them to do. And I'm like, mm. well, I am not blank. So yeah. you're not going to tell me to do that. This is my situation. I'm completely different. Um, and, and just because I'm female doesn't mean that like you can categorize me as someone you can boss around kind of. Oh either. yeah. Yep. Try mm. telling them that. I mean, this happened more than a few times. And I'm sure not just with male doctors. No. No, this is a, everyone. This is across uh, the board. It's, you know, that fun patriarchal system and energy of it all. And, but it's that um, understanding that like bias, not just medical bias, but that bias is real, that we all live with inherent biases that we need to challenge in order to sometimes understand larger perspectives. 100%. And, and with, you know, with that being said, I do also recognize my privilege in, um, this, you know, systematic, systematic privilege and being able to have 
decent insurance Mm -hmm. and have access to these specialists, you know, versus folks who have to be on Medicaid or Medicare and have very limited options and choices. Mm. So, you know, it, there has been, um, the negative of having to, uh, justify my illness and being gaslighted, not taken seriously as a female, but I also recognize the privilege of being a cis white female and Mm. what that's looked like me opposed to some of my, you know, my friends and what they have gone through. What do you think it, things might have looked like if you'd either been like a cis white male or maybe you'd been a woman of color, like the two opposites, right? You know, that like, so maybe if you were a cis white male, people would have listened to you sooner. And as a woman of color, maybe it would have taken a lot longer given the statistics that we understand about Yeah, the world, I mean, there's right? actual, yeah, there's actual statistics that will tell you one gets treated a lot quicker than the other and one receives better treatment than the other. And it's, mm. it's really it's really crappy that it's set up this way. Um, and then I, you know, I fall in the middle. Yeah. I was going to say you're sort of that weird middle space. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it's like as a white woman. Cause it's like, you can see the privilege, but also you're not fully experiencing all of the, the prejudice either. It sort of goes both ways a little bit. It, it goes both ways. Um, mm. and then, you know, just, it, you know, it spans further than the medical field. It's also justifying, what you have to friends and family. Right. And (laughs) there's that aspect too. And, um, I think a a lot of people judge your photos on social media and you don't know how many times I've posted a picture of myself and someone will send me a message. Um, well-meaning of course, but, Mm. Oh, I'm, I'm glad you're feeling so much better. And it just hits this nerve. I cannot describe. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, uh, you know, because I'm only, posting, it doesn't mean I feel better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, it also bothers me. It's like, uh, you know, when you are, you know, if you feel better for an hour or two a day or right. whatever, that that can be used against you in the midst of chronic illness. That's really unfair. Mm. Um, but it also, it also happens and we have to just, we feel like we have to justify it in those situations as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it's interesting too, when you're someone who's in control of your narrative and the way that we are on social media, you know, to be able to like take the moments to like teach people when they're pushing boundaries or when they're saying inappropriate things. Like if you follow someone chronically ill, so many of us in the Spoonie community, we feel the need to be like, okay, let me turn this into a teaching moment and I won't be an ass about it. But like, (laughs) FYI, that's offensive. (laughs) You know, like we really try to teach without being dicks about it. That's what everyone tries to do when they're trying to teach. But like fundamentally, if you're someone who is believing something just because you see one part of the picture and not the rest of it, then, you know, it's sort of, readjusting those expectations, isn't it? Yeah. And you know, you're damned if you do, and you're, you're damned if you don't as someone with chronic illness, you post a picture of yourself with an IV in your arm. People think you're trying to seek attention. You Mm -hmm. show, you know, you post a picture of you, I don't know, hiking out in nature, doing something outdoors, fun, looking happy. You must be well, must be well now. Obviously you're not sick. Um, it's, it's those two extremes. Mm. And, and it's it can be quite cruel, the space in between. I think so. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So let's just dig into a little bit about the healthcare system before we, because I want to talk about all the work that you're doing with Begin Within today. Sure. But um, I want to get your take before we get into that on the healthcare system. You've already talked a little bit about the failings of the healthcare system. Um is there anything in there that you want to dig more into? And can we also talk about like ways that you found that are actually positive experiences too? I mean, I know a lot of that has probably been outside the health insurance system too, like going to privately paid doctors and naturopaths and things like that. Right. Yeah. So the, you know, there are quite a few systematic issues and I feel like we'd end up spending like 20 episodes (laughs) discussing all of them. Um, and you know, with our system, it comes, it comes down to it's, it's socioeconomic factors, like being able to have access to decent insurance. And even if you do have insurance, like you just said, having the finances to be able to afford things or, uh, practitioners that don't even take insurance Mm -hmm. and many, many don't. Yeah. (laughs) Like, especially the ones that are doing things that are controversial, like 
taking care of chronic Lyme. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one know. of the most frustrating because especially with Lyme, it's something where like the CDC recommends no more than 21 days of antibiotics mm-hmm. and that's the treatment for Lyme. But when you're someone who's living with post-treatment chronic Lyme and the antibiotics for 21 days haven't worked for you, like, you know, there's, or if you didn't even get to do that because yeah. you've had it for so long and you weren't diagnosed at the time you were, you know, infected. Yeah. Where, where do you, where do you fall? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I will say like the, the U S healthcare system is wonderful in treating acute symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you happen to have insurance and you need emergency surgery, you're set, like you're yeah. going to, you're going to be taken care of. But, um, when and our doctors to, are paid well, so we attract a lot of great doctors into the system too. <laughs> oh, for sure. Like, yeah. Brain drain central. Welcome mm-hmm. to the USA. <laughs> yeah. Um, So when it comes to chronic illnesses, I mean, like one, finding a doctor who takes chronic illnesses seriously, let alone treats it, let alone takes insurance. Man, Um, it's a pill. It's an uphill battle. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when it comes to the treatment of it, are you just, and again, I'm not, I'm not trying to uh, be uh, anti-pharmaceuticals, but what else can we do? I mean, pharmaceuticals are just one piece of the puzzle. Mm. What else can we do to treat chronic illness? And there's so, you know, we're talking about mental health, like what traumas has has someone Mm -hmm. experienced? Well, it's that also that perspective of the patient as a whole person, isn't it? Not like I'm a neurosurgeon, so I'm just going to look at your brain, but like I'm a doctor, so I'm going to look at how all these systems are interconnected. And like, that's also often the difference between integrative or functional medicine and this allopathic sort of traditional Western model we have too, isn't it? Yes. Yes. Mm. Where it's just kind of tunnel vision <laughs> yeah, versus being able to see the entire, the entire force, entire picture. Like you mentioned, there are so mm. many facets of chronic illness and they all need to be given the same amount of atten- attention, the same amount of care. But we also need, mm. we also need practitioners who can show us and explain that to us. That's a really good point. Yeah. You know, to be able to, we talk a lot about patients having to learn to speak doctors languages so that we can go to new appointments and like get our point across. But doctors also need to learn to speak patients language, don't they? (laughs) You know, they really, they really do. I I joked one time we were, and I was, you know, I have my IV pals, I was getting IV therapy and there was about five of us. And we were joking that we could all likely take the MCAT and maybe pass because we've had to just learn so much about the medical system and treatments Mm -hmm. and all of the research we've had to conduct when we've had the energy to be able to do so. Which goes to show how chronic illness patients also become real detectives. And in many ways, like we could all have our own doctorates at this point. And and we don't say that lightly either. I mean, research, and this is years of research as well. Years and years and years of research. I Mm. I mean, I have family members contacting me like saying, Hey, I'm experiencing this weird symptom. Do you know what it might be? It's like, well, A, I'm not a doctor, but it's likely this. Yeah. (laughs) And I always have to be like, look, this is just my opinion. It doesn't count for medical advice, but you know, like I have to start with a disclaimer. (laughs) You, yeah, here's my disclaimer, but this is what it likely is because your doctor's going to ignore it and say it's probably Yeah. Or sometimes it's like if you could just get proper thyroid testing or get Lyme testing or something that just like gives you some answers to start from as well, which often people have to go to like six, seven more and more doctors before someone will even do the the correct testing. I would say I've seen well over 50 practitioners before being able to, before being diagnosed with Lyme co-infections. Yeah. Um, That's sad. Yeah. It really is. And that is considering that's me as a cis, you know, white female with education. In a major city with access to great hospitals. Exactly. And so that's, yeah. Yeah. You ask where it fails us and that's, that would be That's exactly where, yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's turn to the bright spot, which is the work that you're doing. (laughs) Okay. Tell us about the Begin Within Today journal that you've released and, and who it's for. So when I was really sick uh, at the end of 2018, when I was describing, I could barely, you know, walk, take care of myself, bathe, you know, simple, 
um, ADLs, activities of daily living were tough for me. Um, I, I decided to start journaling my symptoms. I'm like, Hey, I really, I really need to, um, document what's going on. I need to see, you know, plus I was, I was being placed on so many supplements. I just wanted to see what was helping, what wasn't, where I was in my mental health. Um, so I created prompts for myself and, you know, they're simple as, you know, checking my, my vitals, my blood sugar, what I ate, drank for the day, how much sleep I got, how well did I sleep? I mean, those sorts of, you know, basic questions. Um, but then I really got into mind body literature and how, how much your mind affects your body and vice versa. And how important it is to believe that you can heal and be healthy. And so I catered my questions towards that and really focused on gratitude. And one thing I loved about my body, because at that time I hated my body so much. I felt Mm. it was failing me. Like I said, I thought I was going to die. So how could I turn my mindset around? And I, I created these questions. um, And frankly, I, you know, I was really tired of writing them down. So I'm like, you know what? I bet you I could find a journal on Amazon or whatever. I'll Google something and I'm going to find a similar journal. It might not have the exact same questions, but, you know, writing these down took a lot of energy for me when I didn't have any energy. Mm-hmm. So I looked for a journal that encompassed both mental health and physical health. And I found nothing like mm-hmm. truly, I didn't want to create this journal. I wanted it to be done for me so I could just buy it. But like, fill in the yeah. blanks. And again, if I had extra questions, I'd no problem adding those to the end, but at least I got the majority in there. There was nothing. Mm. So I asked around to, to friends, family, I'm like, have you, do you know a journal that you would recommend? And you know, people had said, Oh, maybe the, the bullet journal, the gratitude bullet journal. I'm like, Nope, that's, I need more than that. Mm. <laughs> I need it to be medically really like, well, I think there is this physical health one. And I'm like, no, but I need it to, you know, ask, these other questions related to my mental health, or there were some that were just for mental health. So I decided I would create my own journal because I know how important it is to document your symptoms and to just stop and think about how you're feeling Mm -hmm. as well as write down what you're grateful for. Just being mindful in that moment. All of these things are really important. So um, Mm -hmm. it took me over a year to, to figure this all out because I knew nothing about self-publication, finding, you know, finding a designer, finding a content designer. I mean, I learned so much about that in that span of time. Like if any of you ever want to self-publish, I can point you in the right direction (laughs) now. Mm. Um, so yeah, um, I created that a lot of, um, sweat, Tears, yeah. energy, and spoons went into creating that journal, but I know how helpful it will be to to people. so many people. I mean, it's interesting too because I love when we get chronically ill and then we find a gap in the market, right? Like we go, okay, here's the thing that was missing. For me, it was the podcast, right? And for you, it was a journal like this, and like then we create it. That's what's so wonderful about being part of this community is that there's so much fertile creative energy, you know, look, being chronically ill sucks, but we also have lots of answers to lots of questions that, that people may have and problems that people are having with the systems in place as, you know, the powers that be as it were. And this journal is really an answer to that for in many ways. And like, I'm using it and I'm finding it so helpful. Um, Christina was kind enough to send me a copy and like, it arrived just at the perfect time for me where I'm like, creating a new practice for myself with meditation and journaling. And it sort of fits so perfectly into it and becoming more aware of different stuff going on in my body. Like I'm just so excited about it. And it's such a beautiful development of the work you've been doing. Cause you're already like giving people hot tips on like where to source your food from and, and how to eat gluten-free when you're traveling and doing different things. You have a million resources. This is an additional one, you know, but this is a really, really valuable one. I'm very excited about it for you. Oh, I'm so, I'm so glad. And oftentimes we don't realize that we are improving in certain areas of mm-hmm. our life, be it in our, in our physical health, even in our, our diets, our, our mental health and being able to just 
you know, look through the journal and see where you were, like how far you've come Mm. is helpful in itself. And I've also been able to bring the journal into doctor's appointments. Sure. Because I can pinpoint. Well, and there's a symptom tracker in it. Yeah, there's a symptom tracker. So I can tell you where my symptoms were, you know, six months ago versus today. Mm -hmm. And they have something to go off of because as we know, it's more than just blood tests. It's what happens in between those tests. That's It's an extension of your medical record. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it's something, you know, like as a patient, it's such a resource to be able to like record stuff for six months and be able to go back and pinpoint, as you say, here's where the symptoms were off. Here's where maybe my sleep was off, whatever it is. Um, You may discover things you didn't know were there that can help you get on the track to wellness. Yeah. And even for me, um, I didn't realize that a few days before my period, I become the more, the most symptomatic. I tend to have small flares and it took me writing in this journal to figure that out. So now, you know, a few days before I, I ensure that, you know, I'm in a controlled environment at home. Things are as comfortable as possible in order to mitigate flare ups. Yeah, absolutely. But it's also one of those things that you can sort of go, okay, I forgive my body for this. Like a couple days might be a little suckier than usual, but it's like, this is all part of the process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. I think that's really, it's great. And it's so funny because when I have journaled in the past and tried to track symptoms and stuff, I've created my own journal as you have in this way, but this is so great because it saves us having to worry about the format and you can just fill it in. It's exactly what you were doing for yourself. I mean, it's I'm so thrilled about it. And it's really exciting that everyone listening can grab a copy. Um, and we'll certainly link to that on the webpage for this episode. And Christina will tell you at the end of the episode where you can find all this stuff too. But um, for now, I want to get into a couple of our top three lists because it's how I love to round out these interviews. And I wondered if you could give us, I mean, given all of this knowledge that you've been able to accumulate over the years, your top three tips for someone who maybe they suspect they've got something off, maybe they're already diagnosed with a particular kind of chronic illness and are in this spoony world with us. What would you recommend as your top three tips? I have like top 10. (laughs) (laughs) You can give us as many as you like. (laughs) So, so, um, I think it's number one, it is so important to find a treatment team Mm. that you trust. And here is your permission slip to doctor shop and to therapist shop. No doctor Mm -hmm. is created equally and definitely no therapist is created equally. Um, And I think people think, okay, you just, you go to one appointment and this is it for me. No, 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 no. (laughs) You're, (laughs) you get to choose who is on your team. I mean, they are going to be the most helpful in your treatment planning let's ensure that you truly and genuinely trust them. Mm. So that's, that's the biggest one. Um, um, another one would be prioritizing self-care and joy. Easier said than done. But yes, and different really, for everyone. And like totally self-care and joy different. looks different for everyone. I mean, self-care can be literally going to a doctor's appointment or mm-hmm. it can be painting, drawing, writing, uh, reading, mm-hmm. watching funny videos, journaling, um, meditating, going to support groups or being part of support groups. It's what gen- you know re- genuinely brings you that joy and only you know that. And it's not, like you said, it's not going to look the same for every single person. Yeah. But living a life full of joy, surrounding yourself with things that that make you happy is really important in, in taking care of yourself. Um, so another one is um, reducing toxic load. So living like a low toxic diet. Um, again, that's going to look different for everyone. I can make suggestions, but you would have to choose what is fits right for you. Like for me, it was, um, going on a low histamine diet because hist, you know, I I don't do well with anything high histamine. It causes me to react thanks to mast cell activation syndrome. Um, and then like changing, my cleaning supplies to be more natural. So I'm not, 
I'm not smelling, I'm not taking anything in that could be harmful chemical wise. You know, the one thing we do have control over is what we eat and what we put on our bodies. So it's, it's something to, um, to keep in mind also like thinking about switching to cleaner beauty, um, Mm -hmm. you know, reducing, we had talked earlier about this, your, uh, EMFs. Yeah. This is interesting because this one hasn't come up on the show yet and I'm glad you're bringing it up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So electric magnetic fields, um, they, you know, it's radiation and lowering it has been seen to help people with their symptoms. Yeah. It's definitely something I recommend people look into and not everyone is sensitive to them. Um, but it's still something you may want to consider lowering because whether or not you can feel it, I think to some extent we're all being affected. Yeah. And and hence, you know, the anti 5g move or 4g or is it 5g? Anti 5g, I think. 5g, yeah. We're at 5g now. We're at 5g. (laughs) (laughs) Surprise, we're not Um, at 12g, but I'm sure we'll be there soon. (laughs) Yeah. And then in terms of like, in terms of diet, you know, I said like low histamine, but you know, it's just important that our diets are as nutritionally dense as possible. And again, Mm -hmm. that's different for everyone because everyone's body is, is different. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I would say those are, those are the biggest ones. I think, um, also moving like movement therapy is really Mm -hmm. important. Um, I, I didn't move for a long time and I didn't realize because I had one practitioner tell me I I needed to stay as still as possible, but Mm -hmm. that's like apparently the worst thing you can do for POTS. Right. Uh, yeah. And and so starting, starting that up again and working with a practitioner. She was a physical therapist who understood chronic illness, especially POTS. So she knew what kind of movements I could do to not exacerbate my symptoms. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was really important. Um, so targeted therapies also like finding practitioners who will recommend targeted therapies that can work for you. Exactly. That make mm-hmm. you, that should make you feel good. Not the, not the opposite. Yeah. Um, and another one is just creating, I would say, creating um, boundaries mm-hmm. for yourself, for other people. Like I say I detoxed my life entirely, not just because of my, my diet and my cleaning supplies and EMFs and all of that. No, like I, I detoxed socially as well. There were, mm-hmm. there were people who in my life who um, were kind of taking away from my energy versus yeah. contributing to it, dimming my light as, you know, as I like to say. Um, so I, I created boundaries for them and for other situations where I put myself and my health first. And it's not easy. I'm still working on that. <laughs> but yeah, it is it is a process and boundaries are okay. And they're really connected healthy. to self love and self care. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's all such wonderful advice. What about, I mean, you mentioned self-care and joy. What about the top three things in your life that give you joy? What are your three things that you turn to, whether it's for self-care or when you need to have a little indulgence, what are three things that make you really happy? Um, The first one is nature. Mm. Um, Nature is incredibly healing. Yeah. Uh, It has a ton of benefits. You know, there's, there are days where I don't feel up to going hiking or even walking around nature and just driving by the ocean. You know, I, you know, I'm so grateful we have that luxury or going into the, going into the mountains through forests. Mm -hmm. Um, that's, I find that to be just as rejuvenating and it's something that's really important for me and my, Mm. and my self care and my healing. Um, another is, cooking and baking. Like I said earlier, I, I was never much of a, a cook or a baker before all of this. Um, yeah, I mean, I kind of, I'll be honest, I depended on restaurants a lot of the time, which is okay. I mean, to each their own, but as I became more restricted in my, my foods and started reacting a lot more, I, you know, I had to cook in my home. I didn't have a choice. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, I'm not going to settle for mediocre. I am going to cook the best of the best and whatever I'm craving, I'm going to make, like you had said, you made cinnamon rolls. Oh God, that, those were not the best of the best. <laughs> I'm those sure were, they tasted fine. You know what? They might not have tasted so great. They were, they were okay. I, they're in the fridge right now and they are 
going in the bin later. I have to admit it. I just, they're beyond the point of no return, sadly. Oh my gosh. But it's, it's, that was a blip. Usually they're good. This was just a blip. I will say I have probably mm, like one out of six are blips for me, but you know what? We're, we're trying. We're learning. Oh yeah. And gosh, when it does turn out good, it turns out really good. Yeah. So I'm, I'm happy to constantly try and experiment. Um, yeah, it's just, it's good. And you know, like I said, our arms are extensions of our hearts and I, I really enjoy it. Um, another one would be, uh, watercoloring. Oh, that's I really, really nice. enjoy. I enjoy watercoloring. So when I'm, when I'm not feeling well, I bust them out and I'm able to just focus on that rather than what I'm experiencing at that moment in time. And mm. it helps me, it helps me process. And oftentimes I feel better when I'm done or at least, okay, now I feel good enough to just go rest in bed. Mm. Cause as we all know, we have those moments where you can't even relax or rest. So it's, what are the, th- these are the things that get me to a point where I can, I can rest. Yeah. Um, um, and then before, you know, when we had, when I was at my parents' house, cause they have TV and they have cable, we don't have TV here or cable. So, um, I really got into 90 day fiance. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Fantastic show. Yep. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so that's good for an indulgence for sure. Oh, totally. I, I do miss it. I don't know if you're able to access it online. I haven't tried, but... I'm sure you can. I'm sure I'm, you can sign into TLC through your parents' cable or something. Ah, okay. I know. Now I'm like, like yeah, here see? are all the tips, guys. <laughs> Ask your parents for their passwords. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's that's what amazing. parents are good for. Yeah. And then it's so course- funny because I only last night discovered Married at First Sight and I was like, where have I been? Oh, I don't know what that is, but it sounds amazing. <laughs> oh, I think you would enjoy. <laughs> okay. Okay. It's great We're- mindless entertainment, but like, whoa, there is a lot happening. So is it literally Married at First Sight? Is that what we're... Oh, there have huh. been like matchmakers who who are like using what they think are the right tools to make a match. Okay. People get married and then it follows them on whether or not the marriage works. I mean, like, I don't trust the Instagram algorithm and I'm definitely not going to trust a dating expert's algorithm. To but on me. a certain level, would I trust a dating expert more than like myself 10 years ago when I was making bad choices? Maybe. <laughs> do they end up, do they end up okay though? Or do... I mean, everyone's different. Oh my God. I just started oh. watching it and I'm a little bit like, oh my God. Yeah. So like, guys, this is addictive television and it's great <laughs> for when you need to switch your brain off. And gosh, yeah, we really, we really need that. And and then, like I said, like with journaling and just writing. Mm, yeah. I know that's a, you know, that's a fifth one technically, but. You can is, have as many as you like. <laughs> it is so important. I forgot to mention with journaling, you know, they've done studies that um, people have been able to heal a lot quicker and faster while journaling. and Because it so, allows for self-reflection. It's a form of meditation. It totally is. Mm. So I, I really, I really love creative writing and I love journaling. That's lovely. Can you tell everyone where they can find you online and where they can find these wonderful Begin Within Today journals? Sure. So um, I am both at Buen Camino and that's at B-U-E-N-Q-A-M-I-N-O, Buen Camino with a Q, and at Begin Within Today, spelled just as it sounds, Begin Mm -hmm. Within Today. And from there, you can find a link to the website where you can um, purchase the journals. Yeah, absolutely. And there's even like a little, you can get a little sa- sampler if you want to check it out first. And um, you can see more of Christina's writing and more of her work in general. And there's just plenty to poke around on the website for sure. Yeah, there's a there's a free gratitude e-journal for signing up the newsletter. And it's a great mm-hmm. way just to test it out. And and I should say there's, um, there's an e-journal option if you prefer to journal um, on your computer or tablet or even on your phone. And then um, there's a perfect bound version that can be purchased on Amazon and ships internationally. Amazing. And then there's an eco-friendly version, which is the one you have um, that's printed on recycled paper here in San Diego. It's beautiful paper. <laughs> I got it and I was like, this must have cost her so much money. Like it's so it's pretty. Just, it's like, it literally was the only option. Thank God it was nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's a beautiful textured paper and it's like thick. It feels like 
this is also like an heirloom, a keepsake. Oh, that makes too. me, that makes, so it makes it feel special. It. Yeah, Very absolutely. Good. No, definitely. And it's like sitting on my coffee table so I can write in it every morning. Create your practices for yourself because man, does it make all the difference when you can't control anything. The only thing you can control is you. If your body isn't working for you, start controlling your routine and, and creating that mindfulness technique stuff that's going to help you for sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It mm. sets a really um, solid foundation for yourself. Yeah. And absolutely. I will say the days I don't follow that routine, I notice a difference. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. When you get into it and you start doing it regularly, you can feel the difference. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Christina, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show today. I'm, it's just been such a pleasure chatting with you and such an honor to be able to feature you. Also, um, we're, we're just continuing to follow your journey and excited to see where the next 30% gets you. Thank and, you. Um, <laughs> and what happens after all this pandemic has passed? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And likewise. Yeah, so. absolutely. Well, thank you so much. And we'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you. That's it, folks. Thanks for listening. As always, please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at uninvisiblepod. We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.